Welcome back to our series called Living Lessons. These are stories of characters in the Bible. In our last two lessons, we looked at married couples, and while there were many lessons to be learned from their lives, we looked at it from the perspective of lessons we could learn about our marriages or our key relationships in life. This next lesson also involves a couple, but they're not married, but yet their interaction is one that I think can shed a lot of lights on our key relationships. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25. 1 Samuel, chapter 25. While you're turning there, let me bring us up to speed from where we were in our last lesson. If you recall, we were in 1 Samuel, chapter 1, and we learned about a couple named Elkanah and Hannah. They were unable to have, Hannah was unable to have children, and she prayed to God for a child, and God answered her. Our lesson was about how to help each other in our times of disappointment. But in the end, she receives this son from the Lord and effectively gives him back. So he becomes a priest in the temple and then goes on to become one of the great judges of Israel, the last great judge of Israel. When the uh, Israelites moved into the promised land, they still had a tribal arrangement and there would be certain leaders that would emerge and Samuel was one of those. At the end of Samuel's life, however, the Israelites decided we need a king like the other countries and so God tells Samuel to anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. We're now about approximately 1,000 B.C., 1,000 years before the time of Christ. Well, Saul proves to be an unworthy king, and so Samuel, before he dies, anoints this young man named David to be king. Well, you remember the story. Saul is very jealous and eventually casts David out, sends his soldiers to find David. David finds himself living out in the desert in the in the wilderness, in the hills, avoiding Saul's armies. He's not willing to kill Saul, although he had the opportunity. He doesn't want to fight against his fellow Israelites. And so he's waiting for the promise of God to come true and just living a very difficult life out in the wilderness. That's the opening to our story in 1 Samuel 25 when David meets an extraordinary lady. 1 Samuel 25 verses 1 through 13 sets the stage. It talks about how David is out in the desert and he's near a place called Carmel and there was a man there who was very wealthy. The scripture says that he had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep and they were shearing them at Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. It says she was an intelligent and beautiful woman but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. Sounds like some couples that I know. Just kidding. But basically what's happening here is it sets up a, an interesting character study. You have Nabal who's very surly. You have Abigail who is much more uh, calm and perspective. And now let's shift the scene to David. David hears about this happening. And while he was in the desert, his men had been protecting the shepherds and the flocks of Nabal. They didn't steal from them, which was kind of common at the time. In fact, they protected them against raiders. So when the time for shearing came, this is in the beginning of 1 Samuel 25, David sent 10 of his young men to Nabal and said, go tell him, peace be with you. Uh, we have tried to do a good service to you. If at this time of festival you would be willing to give us some food, some animals or whatever you can give us, it'd be greatly appreciated. Nabal answered David's servants, this is in verse 10, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? 
Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. In other words, calling him a, a runaway, a rebellious person. He said, why should I take my bread and water and meat and so forth and give it to men coming from who knows where? And he sends them away empty-handed. When they came back to David, they reported what he had said. And David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David took up his sword. There were about 400 men went with David and about 200 stayed with their supplies. And that's as big an army as David had at the time. But David, imagine this, David and 400 men are coming to go talk to Nabal and say, hey, you're pretty ungrateful and you've really offended David. And here he comes with an army of 400 men. Well, in the meantime, one of the servants, this is picking up in verse 14, and this gets to the heart of our stories, told Nabal's wife Abigail and said, David sent messengers, but our master insulted them and sent them away. They said to her, but these men were very good to us. They didn't mistreat us. That we were near them night and day and nothing was missing. In fact, they were a wall around us, it says in verse 16, and while we were herding our sheep. Please see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Well, Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread and some skins of wine and some dressed sheep and grain and cakes of raisins and figs. It says, then she told her servants, let's go to David. And so she came riding on her donkey toward David and his men. Meanwhile, David had just said, you know, guys, it's been useless all my helping this fellow and watching over his sheep and nothing was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave anyone in his household alive. He's going to go kill all the males in his household as vengeance for the insult that Nabal has given to him. Well, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before him with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and she said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servants speak to you and hear what I have to say. Please pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. His name means fool and that's exactly how he's acting, she said. I did not see the men that you sent to us. But now, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, notice how she kind of assumes that, of course you're not going to go kill these people. You certainly aren't going to go avenge yourself and uh, take the vengeance that belongs to God upon yourself. He says, since you're not going to do that, he said, let this gift which I brought to you be for you and your men. And please forgive your servant's offense. The Lord will certainly bless you and make a lasting dynasty of you. And then in verse, uh, one of my favorite verses, verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord is God, has kept me from harming you. If you had not come, no male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive this day. What an interesting story, isn't it? Well, let's look at it a little bit. I'm sure that many things jump out at you. Uh, the one lesson that's not in this is we're not going to talk about how your husband might be a little like Nabal, okay? That's just off limits. Seriously, David and, and Abigail bring two interesting perspectives to this. And in fact, I, say, I think when you look at this, 
you'll see that one of them is angry and headstrong, and that's David. The other is more at peace, a mediator who has a different perspective, bringing some perspective to the situation. You know, the truth is we're probably all like David sometimes, and we're probably all like Abigail. It's not a I'm one way or another, although in a few minutes I'll probably ask you in your marriage, are you tend to react more like David, or do you tend to react more like Abigail? But the truth is we help each other sometimes, don't we? One of the key lessons out of this story for me is one that I learned a long time ago, and I learned it the hard way. I had a business deal one time, and that's a long story, and I'll give you the short version, but it's really stuck with me. I had a business deal, and it wasn't going well. It was a large project out in another part of the country. Uh, our company had a lot of employees at work, putting in a lot of high-tech equipment in this facility, and the people that were uh, paying us, the people that had contracted with us, we had some disputes and they weren't paying us. And it got to the point where we had a lot of money invested and they hadn't paid us. And my concern was is that at some point we kept saying, look, you have to pay us or we can't keep working. We can't keep you know, putting these fiber optics and this equipment in if you aren't going to pay us. And I didn't think they were taking us seriously. And it got to the point where we were invested a substantial sum of money. And I remember thinking, enough is enough. You know, just, we just can't do this anymore, and said, that's it, cut it off. We stop work right now until we can get this settled. Well, as a business decision, it wasn't necessarily a bad decision. Things went on to work out well. But I really didn't have much perspective on the situation. I remember going out to the job sites, and I remember after that happened, I went out and you see all these contractors and all these guys packing up and leaving because we laid them all off. Uh, they didn't have work. Turns out it was two weeks before Christmas. And I just remember standing there thinking to myself, you know, I, I think that I was right to react in the sense that we're going to have to do something about this situation, but I clearly didn't think this through. And we just laid off a few hundred guys right before Christmas. And I thought to myself, Terry, you're going to go home for Christmas and you're going to say, what a wonderful family time. And I just sent several hundred guys home who were going to go home and say, honey, I got laid off. It was one of those situations that just hit me and it stuck with me. And every time I think of this lesson, I think of that. That was a time when I was more of a David. I wasn't seeing the whole picture and I was reacting to just a part of what's going on and would have been really good to get some perspective. I know that things like that happen in your life, in my life, when we get into situations where we've been treated wrongly. We, we feel like we haven't uh, been treated right and we feel a desire to do something to get back at them. Maybe it's not always vengeance, but it's, we're going to return some kind of coldness for that. Well, into this situation comes Abigail, and her perspective is a little different. On the one hand, she says, David, you're right. You've been insulted. And you know what? As a spouse, we can do that for each other. I don't like it when I don't feel like my wife is treated with the respect she deserves, and I, I know she probably feels the same way about me. I'm sure you felt the same way. And there are times when we'll say, you know, I think you're right, but can I tell you this? And you know, there are two lessons about how to do that with each other, two things that stand out to me. Number one, when I look at Abigail, I notice that she doesn't respond with anger to anger. She doesn't say, now wait a minute, David, I know you're upset about the insult, but I want to tell you this. And we do that sometimes, don't we? We think, well, if you're angry, I'll just respond with some anger of my own. 
And that doesn't work, does it? It tends to escalate. What does she do? She responds with humility. And she responds with softness. And I will talk to the guys here for a minute because we, we have a really difficult time of this. But in times of conflict, whether it's our spouse in conflict with a bad situation or us in conflict with our spouse, our tendency is very often to respond like a David. But the need is very often for us to soften, get a little humility, and respond like an Abigail. In other words, let's be the peacemaker. Let's be the one that steps back and says, I hear what you're saying. I know that you're right about that. I, you know, I understand that. Let me show you some other things. I don't want you to do something that you're going to regret. The other side of this is David's side. Abigail responds with some humility and some softness, exactly what is needed to just drain the anger out of the situation. But, you know, just the same, David had to be willing to listen, didn't he? David's called a man after God's own heart, not because David always does things right. David lost his temper. David would have done something here that would have been very bad, that he would have very much regretted, that would have been something that was evil in God's sight. But David is willing, when he's confronted, to step back and listen and think about it. And that's a great lesson for us as well. Confront anger with softness. And when we are confronted about where we are, stop and listen. At one point, uh, a little bit later in your discussion, I'd like to talk about how have you helped your spouse in those situations? How have you helped each other? How have you helped your close friends to regain their perspective? Have you done it like an Abigail did? Have you been a David? When has been a time when you've been very grateful that someone has helped you to just step back and see the bigger picture? But the last point I want to make is probably the biggest lesson to me in this is what the way David responds in verse 32. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. What an interesting response. He doesn't take any credit from Abigail saying, you know what, I'm grateful that you came and you talked to me like this and you stopped me. But he sees a bigger hand in this. He sees God working to try to keep him on the right course. And here's a lesson I, want to, I really want us to take from this. Your spouse is a gift to you from God. Your spouse is here to help you. And if you listen to no one else, listen to your husband, listen to your wife. They care deeply about you. And while they may not always be right, they always trying to give you that perspective, always trying to help you do something or keep from doing something that you'll regret. I want you to think of your spouse as a gift from God. It's a way of God intervening in our lives to help us. And you may say, yes, but you don't know how much she frustrates me, or wait a minute, you just don't know what he does. And I understand that. We're not perfect. Don't expect your spouse to supply all of your needs, but I'd like for you to think about your spouse in a positive way. You have two choices in a marriage. One is this, to think about everything your spouse does that's annoying. I know that when we talk to our young married classes and we say, look, your spouse is wonderful, and they're like, yeah, we're, this is our first year of marriage, and Prince Charming really is Prince Charming, and uh, you know, my princess is exactly what I dreamed. The reality of it is, is none of us are perfect, nor do we meet all of each other's needs. And when that time comes, you're going to have a choice. You're going to have a, the opportunity to dwell on everything you don't like about your spouse, or you're going to have the opportunity, like David, to step back and say, thanks be to God for bringing all these positive things to me. And here's my challenge. If you will just make the decision 
in your marriage to look at the things that God has gifted you with, it will vastly change the tone of your relationship. It's a choice that you're going to make. Am I going to look at the problems? Or like David, am I going to say, yes, there are problems here. Yes, I was insulted. Yes, this happened. Thanks be to God for bringing you to me to help me. Well, let's take a few minutes and look at some of the discussion questions. I think there's several elements of this story that we can put to practical use today.